Francis Chan once said, my existence was not random, nor was it an accident. God knew who he was creating, and he designed me for a specific work. Of all the things that people struggle with internally, the things people wrestle with inside of themselves, you will often find at the root of a significant portion of those struggles, there lies an identity crisis. And so for the past two messages in Romans, for those of you who are here, you know we worked through chapter 8, talking about how our lives identify with Jesus when we are in Christ, because of course uh, a lot of those internal struggles have to do with identity. They affect how we see ourselves, things like our upbringing, right, how we were raised, uh, or our status, how we're viewed in this world, and of course uh, your past in general or past experiences. All of these can have a powerful effect on how we define who we are, especially when we uh, either, uh, neither understand or have not been willing to accept who God says we are, right? And the real problem with that is you end up believing things about yourself that are not true while refusing to believe what is true about yourself, which can and often does, by the way, have a profound effect on how you decide to live your life day to day and even what you end up achieving or not achieving in your life. Because when you spend your time and energy and focus constantly feeding a false identity, it becomes impossible to live the life of purpose you were created to live, okay? You cannot become all that God created you to be until you accept the person he created you to be. Right? You have to own who you are in Christ. And yet this world is full of people who believe in the truth about Jesus while simultaneously believing in a lie about themselves. They believe Jesus is who he said he was, but they don't believe they are who he said they are. <laughs> We believe his words about himself, but not about us, right? Maybe, again, it's because of hurt uh, we've experienced in our upbringing or because of the expectations of this world for us have taken a toll. Uh, or maybe it's past mistakes we've made to the point you can actually assume a false identity about yourself. You can believe lies about yourself, and consequently, you can miss out on the life that God has chosen you for, uh, which, by the way, is nothing new. In the first century Mediterranean world, the Jewish people generally regarded the Gentile people as unclean, and because of uh, the Jewish purity laws, they really had very little to do with the Gentiles when it came to their religious beliefs and practices. And at the same time, the Jews understood themselves to be God's chosen people. In fact, a kingdom of priests and a holy nation, as described in Exodus 19.6, by God himself to Moses on Mount Sinai, in reference to the Israelites. So as far as the Jews were concerned, the Gentiles, you know, they might claim to be many things, but when it came to being God's people, when it came to being a priesthood, right, holy and set apart, when it came to being the chosen people of God, the Israelites had it on good authority that that status was reserved for the Jews alone, not the Gentiles. And of course, at the time, most everyone understood that, at least until a little more and halfway through the first century when the apostles like Peter and Paul began writing these letters to predominantly Gentile Christians saying things like, you, Gentile believer, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once 
You were not a people. But now, you're God's people. 1 Peter 2, 9 and 10. That was written to Gentile believers as much or more than it was to Jewish believers. And so in that one statement, Peter redefines the very identity of a lot of people, which we're going to see as well in Paul's letter today to the Romans as we continue our sermon series working our way through this letter where the Gentile Christians have gone from being not a people to now being God's people, from being unclean to being clean, from being unacceptable to being accepted. They were now considered the chosen people of God alongside the Jewish believers. Listen, not because of their upbringing, certainly not, not because of any religious status they could claim or because of a history of being the chosen people of God, no. It was only by the grace of God alone through their faith in Christ alone they were given a new identity, the people of God, chosen by faith, right? As we're gonna see, particularly next week as we finish this two-part sermon we're beginning today. And so it wasn't because of anything they had done. They had no reason to boast about this new identity they now had in Christ because it was all his doing, not theirs. And even though we may not uh, be able to put ourselves in their sandals culturally, we can certainly identify with those first century Gentile Christians spiritually because for all of us who are in Christ today, we've experienced the very same transformation, right? From being not a people to now being God's people, from being unclean to being made clean, from being unacceptable to being accepted. God's chosen people. Oswald Chambers once said, all of God's people are ordinary people who have been made extraordinary by the purpose he has given them. So if you're a Christian, I just wonder if you actually believe that. Do you believe that you're truly an extraordinary person living an extraordinary life when you're in Christ? And the reason I wonder about that is because if you do believe that, then listen, you're going to live like it. Your life will reflect that belief, and yet there are so many Christians who don't live that way. They don't see their lives as extraordinary. They especially don't see themselves as extraordinary, even though God's word couldn't be any clearer about that, okay? If you want to experience the full measure of what God has done in your life, you have to believe that he's done it. You have to accept that. In fact, belief is one of the most powerful motivating forces in the entire human experience. What you believe shapes the way that you live from day to day, right? If you didn't believe you were going to get a paycheck from your employer, well, then you probably wouldn't go to that job every day, would you? Right? But you do go to work every day because you believe you're going to get paid. When we get in our cars and drive places, at least for some of us, we believe that our car is going to get us where we need to go. Right? We get married because we love the person we're marrying and we believe they're going to love us back. We make purchases based on what we believe we need or what we believe will make us happy or what we believe will improve our lives. We make decisions every single day, little decisions and big decisions that shape our lives all based on what we believe. And of course, it's the same for our Christian faith. How we live as Christians is based not on what we say we believe, but on what we actually believe about Jesus Christ and his word and what that word says about us, right? And so regardless of what is coming out of our mouths, 
if our actions, the way we're living, do not line up with what we say we believe, then we don't actually believe what we say we do. I mean, the proof's in the pudding. And I'm not talking about perfection, by the way. I'm talking about conviction. At our core, what we truly believe determines the convictions that we live by, mistakes and all. Which means if you do actually believe that his word is true, then your life fundamentally won't look the same as those who do not believe that his word is true. It, it cannot look the same because the Bible defines the truth and reality and reason and purpose for our entire existence. And it happens to be extraordinary. It also happens to be antithetical, the opposite of what the, word, uh, the world says our truth and reality and reason and purpose is for existing, which means, listen, categorically, you cannot honestly believe that God's word is true and still live like the rest of the world who does not believe that it's true. You, you can't. Because your life reflects what you believe. When you truly believe in Jesus Christ and his word and what it says about you and your life, when you believe that, your life changes drastically because the base convictions, the foundational moorings that you live by fundamentally change, right? Listen, Jesus died a horrible death so that you could live an extraordinary life. Do you believe that? Jesus died a horrible death so that you could live an extraordinary life. Don't waste it by not believing what he said about you. Because what he says about you is the fact that no matter your upbringing, no matter your status in this world, and no matter what your past looks like, you've been chosen for something extraordinary, something bigger than your past, something greater than any status you could ever achieve on your own, and something far beyond your upbringing, as we'll see as we continue this story today. So let's turn there together. We'll pick it right back up where we left off last time at Romans chapter 9. We'll begin by reading the first five verses. So Romans 9, 1 through 5. I'm speaking the truth in Christ. I'm not lying. My conscience bears me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. They are Israelites, and to them belong the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the worship, and the promises. To them belong the patriarchs, and from their race, according to the flesh, is the Christ, who is God over all, blessed forever. Amen. So Paul, again, he's writing here predominantly to Gentiles, Gentile Christians, and he opens up the chapter by expressing his great sorrow and unceasing anguish for his own people, the Jews, who were given from the days of old the adoption, Paul says, which is the status as God's chosen people, of course. He says the glory that's the presence of God in the tabernacle in the temple. The covenants, that's the means through which God promised to save them. The law at Mount Sinai, that's the word of God to live by. The worship, closeness uh, to God as outlined in the law. The promises, assurances of their salvation. The patriarchs, their examples to follow. And from their own race, the Christ, the Messiah, the, the one they've all been waiting for. And yet they still, with all of that, they still, by and large, rejected him. That's why Paul is experiencing great sorrow 
and unceasing anguish. Because listen, if these people, right, the ones who God gave every advantage to, 